DiscerningHearts.com presents Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, especially patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He is executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He's the author or editor of more than 50 books, Villains of the Early Church, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks for having me back, Chris. You never learn. Well, <laughs> I'm trying. That's why I'm hanging out with my favorite nerd, my favorite history nerd, church history nerd. There you go. You have all those titles. But I I can't help it. Ever since I got a copy of Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians, I have found it fascinating. In our previous episodes, the one thing that I think for the listener who's been with us, we're beginning to see that there's nothing new under the sun. We're seeing these personages, yes, in the individuals, whether it's from Judas to Simon the Magician to Nero, we can kind of recognize them in our world maybe as early as just the other day, or maybe we might spot them tomorrow. Yes. And there's a certain comfort in that, a certain consolation. What we learn from the the stories of these villains is that they're contemporaries, they're victims. We're convinced that this is as bad as it could get. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen to us and to the church. We are facing now the greatest threat in the history of Christianity. People were thinking that in the first century, the second century, probably the the 12th century, the 15th century, and so on, down to our own time. It can be a comfort to know that God gets us out of these jams every time. The gates of hell do not prevail. We just have to learn to trust. And in the case of almost everyone we have talked about and who we will talk about, ultimately, the enemy is someone even bigger than they are, That those persons. It is an, an enemy that is using and manipulating and twisting these characters because of elements like you've described in their early lives and you know, some of the, the choices that they made because of their sinfulness that... Yes. They turn away from God. They turn away from God and they turn down a road that leads to terrible things. You know, it's traditional Christian teaching that sin darkens the intellect and weakens the will. Once these people give themselves over to sin, and they might think, oh, this is a small sin. It's innocuous. Once they give themselves over to it, they make it their own. They make it part of their identity. They identify with the sin or they steadfastly refuse to repent of it, anything can happen. And that's especially dangerous when we're dealing with people of tremendous natural gifts. You know, we've already talked about some people who had gifts for, for leadership, people who had gifts of intellect, 
people who had gifts of uh, performance even, and how they applied these in wicked ways. You know, and as we get into some of these second century villains of the church, we see this pattern repeating itself. The villain we're going to be talking about today is, I didn't know very much about him. And this is why I'm glad I got a copy of the book, because again, Marcion, he could be around today, couldn't he? <laughs> yes, yes, he could. You know, he's the kind of person we encounter even today. He has a fabulous amount of money. He's a shipbuilder and he has an enormous fortune. He's a Christian. You know, he considers himself a devout and serious Christian and he wants to influence church affairs. So he uses his money in order to influence church affairs. In a sense, he wants to buy the church and remake it in his own image with his own crazy ideas. You know, I, I often kind of flippantly um, compare Marcion to George Steinbrenner, who uh, owned the, the New York Yankees in my childhood and really changed the way the way baseball was, was operated. OK, mm-hmm. well, how did he do that? Well, George Steinbrenner was a shipbuilder who had a lot of more a lot of money. He had a vast fortune. And he was willing to put that fortune to use for this purpose. And I said, and so I've often said that Marcion did for the church what Steinbrenner did for baseball. <laughs> he, you know, he provoked certain changes. Now, he got to Rome and he donated a large amount of money to the church uh, so that he could kind of throw his weight around and he could expect a little bit of something in return. But soon it became very clear that he wanted to position himself as the chief teacher in the church and that his teachings were kind of strange and they were not orthodox. They were not the teachings that the church had received from the apostles. So interesting because here you have somebody who, again, is so fabulously blessed as it seems with yes. financial means. So, you know, the, what he can see or not see, it's, he's maybe very self-reliant and really sincerely believes, I must know something because look at how I'm blessed with these temporal goods. Well, he had a quirky reading of Scripture, and he came to the conclusion that the God of the Old Testament was so different from the God of the New Testament that they must be two different gods. And so he came to the conclusion that the Old Testament was the product of a wicked God. The New Testament was the product of a good God. But he had this this problem. You know, he read the New Testament. He saw that the writers of the New Testament revered the Old Testament, and they often invoked the great figures of the Old Testament as heroes. So this didn't quite jibe with Marcion's beliefs. So what he did was he reduced the New Testament to just the Gospel of, of St. Luke. Hmm. And even then, though, you know, St. Luke refers to the Old Testament quite often, and he had to, uh, he had to edit the Gospel of St. Luke down to remove all these references to the Old Testament. So it was just the Gospel of St. Luke and certain epistles of St. Paul. But again, he had to edit the epistles of St. Paul to take out the parts that he knew had to be interpolations because they did not agree with his reading of the Bible. 
You know, so he had strange ideas about God. He had strange ideas about Jesus. He had strange ideas about the about the scriptures, and he wanted to change the church in order to accommodate his ideas. Once this became clear, the church became appalled. You know, the Pope wrote him a check and returned. The church found itself in this embarrassing situation. They had received money from a man who was obviously a heretic. And so they they returned the money. He was given a chance to repent. He didn't take it. And he was excommunicated. So Marcion used all of his vast fortune in order to set up a parallel church. He mimicked the liturgy of the church so that it appeared to be like the Mass as it was celebrated in Rome at that time. And he had his holy books and they appeared to have names that would be familiar to Christians. And he set up a mirror church, really, that looked kind of like the Catholic Church, but wasn't. It was a church that was rotten at the core, and it was really powered by money rather than by grace. He succeeded to a rather remarkable degree, driving it forward on his fortune, though. Wow. Now, I think we can say that we have seen in church history, those who have taken the scriptures and kind of did their own editing and came up with their own interpretation of things, haven't we? We've seen that. Yes, we have. And even at the time of the Reformation, we find some of the reformers mimicking the Mass, even though they did not believe in the sacrificial character of the Mass, but mimicking it in its outward appearances, really capitalizing on the ignorance of people uh, so that they would believe this new religion to be in continuity with the old. So what Marcion does in the second century is uh, is repeated again through history. Um, uh, it's and 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 what Marcion established in Rome really did stay uh, for, stay around for a long time because once you put that much money into something and create an institution like that and build an infrastructure, it becomes bigger than you. So here you have a shipbuilder, right? Mm -hmm. He has the power to send out the apostles of his heresy to the far corners of the earth, and he does. <clears throat> and so the Marcionite religion goes out from there, and we find it even in Jerusalem. We find it even in Jerusalem three centuries after the death of Marcion. So it goes out and it endures. It endures for a long time. There is a claim that we find in some of the early fathers that Marcion did come to realize he was wrong and that he tried to repent. And the church told him that first he had to remedy the terrible things that he had caused and he had to close up shop on this Marcionite church. But again, it had become bigger than him at that point. It had become an institution this large beast that Marcion himself could not control or contain. And he was unable to do that by the end of his life. So he was not able to know the consolation of absolution before his death. Wow. Watch the seeds you sow. Right, right. And, and beware what you do with your money and the kind of strings you attach to it. We'll return to the villains of the early church and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. 
Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. 
from the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus, that others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time, looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study in prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library. We now return to The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. I mean, that's such a, a sad thing. I mean, if he got to a point where he actually, you know, we hope we hope that story might be true, that he wanted to repent of that or he began to see the error of it. It just goes to show how so many other heresies, even in our present day, the founders may say, wait a minute, wait a minute, but it, it takes on a, its own life. It does. It does. And, you know, uh, it's not just that we get to read this story or hear this story and then wag our fingers at rich people. Because you know what? Most of us living in the United States today have it better than most of the people who were rich in the time of Marcion. Mm -hmm. You know, Marcion might have all the money in the world, but he didn't have air conditioning. He didn't have access to good medicine. Uh, he didn't have have access to easy travel the way we do today. He didn't have lights at night the way we have lights at night today. He didn't have heat in the winter the way we have it today. He could not enjoy so many of the comforts we have today. We have extraordinary and unprecedented comforts today. And so many of us today find ourselves in the position of those who were rich in the ancient church, especially in terms of our autonomy and what we can do with it. You know, we're all, in a sense, in the position of a Marcion in our own home, where we could abuse our office as teacher in our home, if we're parents, you know, and give in to our... Look, we have, uh, if we're parents, if we're grandparents, we have authority in our homes, and we have power in our homes, and we have, in a sense, in our little church, what Marcion tried to have in the, in the Catholic Church. So we have responsibility for the kind of doctrine we pass on to our children, to our grandchildren. We have responsibility for the kind of uh, personal witness 
and personal example we put out there for our children and our grandchildren. This is why it really is a responsibility to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Christian doctrine so that we can pass it on in its fullness and in crystal clear truth. We have to see ourselves as vulnerable. We're as vulnerable as Marcion was. He was an educated man. He came from a Christian family, a devout family, and yet became a victim of his own crazy thoughts because he let them run riot and because he did not steep himself in the apostolic tradition with a spirit of humility the way he should have. We all have that obligation. Really, the duty to grow in the knowledge of the faith is lifelong, and we've got to stick with it. We cannot become content. We can't be complacent about what we learned so long ago in the Baltimore Catechism. All that was good. We have to test our memory of it, and we have to grow as the church has grown in its expression of that faith. Well, let me offer this to you too, Mike, and I mean, you can tell me if I'm far off field. You know, is it possible for Marcion, because of the generosity that he provided the early church, those who he encountered, that maybe, just maybe, he wasn't corrected sooner by that leadership? That maybe, just maybe, they let him go to the point where they couldn't pull back. And so part of it lies on that leadership. Sure. I mean, you have the richest man in the world, one of the richest men in the world, coming into your church, coming in with his vast fortune. He's intimating that he'd like to give even more of it to your church. You have all these poor people, these widows, these orphans who are dependent upon the church. You could do so much good for them. You could do so much good for the sake of the gospel if you just indulge him a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you just put up with with his idiosyncrasies, with his eccentricities, you know, just put up with them. They're not really heresies, are they? Well, yeah, they are, you know, and the man stands in need of correction. And it's not merciful if you indulge these as eccentricities when you know them to be heresies. You're not being merciful. If you don't call him out on his immoralities, it's still true today. If we do this, because we want to keep these people close to the church rather than drive them away, well, we're not helping them. We're actually driving them away from Jesus Christ by the behaviors that we're indulging. It starts out small, and it becomes the type of uh, an indulgence to relativism that I think it plagues so much of the Christian community. It doesn't matter whether you're Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, everyone is susceptible to that because, as you said, the the intentions always start out good. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And, 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 you know, there are many people who draw the genealogy of ideas from Marcion to Nazism. So we see we see where these ideas lead because Marcion was the one who despised the Jews. He despised the Old Testament, despised everything about it, and he despised the religion of the Old Testament. So he was the first one, really, to hurl that kind of invective against the Jews in this way. And we find Marcionite phrases revived 
in the works of the Christian theologians later who were sympathetic to the Nazis. So, yeah, you know, you set in motion terrible things when you make these small diversions off course at the beginning. Boy, I really, that scripture passage where it talks about millstones. Yes. Oh, yes. boy. Oh, boy. What a legacy. Mm, goodness. Well, it's, that's Marcion. Now you know his name, folks. Yeah. <laughs> In closing on this particular discussion, on I mean, he's a person. You know, that, that that's the thing. And all of these villains, they're... They're still people, you know, yeah. may God have mercy. Story. Yeah, and yeah. may God have mercy on those who fall into the same trap. Right, Mike? That's right. Uh, you know, as I said, unfortunately, you know, he was an early villain, but he wasn't the last of, of, of even the early villains. So, um, you know, we'll see that this is a pattern that repeats itself. I think it repeats our, itself in the lives of people who permit themselves to be, um, to be ignorant of history. We don't want to be those people. And we have to pray for those who have means. Yes. And and in their stewardship of those goods and the humility and all of the virtues that they're going to need to be able to do the Father's will. Yes, that they exercise true stewardship and true detachment and uh, and true selflessness. Mm. Any final thoughts, Mike? <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I, 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 I don't have final thoughts because, because I'm, I'm well aware that we're only partway through this book. We're going to be encountering some, some interesting new villains in the, in the episodes ahead. And in a sense, it's a pattern that repeats itself, but every new villain adds something or contributes something different and shows us that this is kind of like a, a cancer that mm. metastasizes, that mutates as it goes along in order to, uh, to fool us. So, so we have to be aware and we have to know about the varieties of villainy that were there in the early church and that we might encounter still today. Well, it's an aspect of spiritual warfare. I and mean, what we're yes. seeing is uh, the activity, the, the ultimate villain, the ultimate yes. enemy. Yes. And so, you know, eyes wide open. Thank you so much, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me again, Chris. You've been listening to Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. <laughs>